Hello and welcome to another episode of Scarlet Fever. Nebraska football had what was maybe its best loss since... I don't know when. Against number four Oklahoma on Saturday, can the Huskers recover from a tough loss and maintain momentum against a red-hot Michigan State team? We'll discuss with DN Beat reporter Justin Slopichka. Plus, Nebraska volleyball has lost three matches in a row for the first time since 2018. Can the Huskers get right this week against Northwestern and Iowa? We'll find out. Finally, the skid continues for Nebraska women's soccer as well. Where do the Huskers go from here? We'll talk all that and more coming up on Scarlet Fever. But first, what was the best thing you saw this weekend? Our picks next. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen joined by Landon Wirt as always. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt, W-I-R-T. You can follow me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Again, Hanson15 underscore Hanson. That is Hanson with an E-N. Don't forget, this is a podcast of the Daily Nebraskan, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow. Again, at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. And we'll start this week's podcast the way we have started the last one, and hopefully we'll start the remainder of our podcast, however long. That goes. Uh, but what's the best thing you saw this weekend? So we'll start with Landon. Where are you going? Yeah, uh, I had something in mind, but I am going to pivot from that and go with the weather. It is beautiful outside, and it finally feels like fall. I was doing some studying at Love Library last night, and when I walked out of the library, I was like, holy cow, it feels like I need a sweatshirt outside. Little did I know, it got down to as low as 50 degrees last night and colder even in some parts of Nebraska, I think. And this morning, the walk was so pleasant this morning. It felt, I mean, morning, it's it's 1 p.m., but uh, it felt so great. Like, it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. It was just that perfect fall weather. And I'm really, really looking forward to those fall Saturdays when it's like this weather-wise and Memorial Stadium is full. And I don't know, it just really feels like fall. And fall is one of my favorite times of the year, so that makes me happy. And that is what the best thing I saw slash experienced this week slash weekend was. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful today. And, it, well, you know, I mean, I, I just, I think you love that, uh, you know, that feeling of the sun that it's not, like, too oppressive, but you can still, like, feel it's exactly. really warm. Yeah, yeah that, it's that's beautiful. what's perfect. And it's the first day of autumn today, uh, officially. I think we've crossed the uh, autumnal equinox point as we're recording this on Wednesday the 22nd. Um, for me, I made an impromptu trip home this weekend. On Sunday, I went to my uh, grandparents' house, um, watched some football, which was great. But my cousins were there as well. They're two and one, I think. Um, and so I have never honestly seen someone so entertained or a couple of people so entertained by someone who's literally just sitting on the couch typing on his computer. Like, they absolutely were enjoying... Uh, I think that absolutely heck out of me being there, and so I, I'm I'm shocked. I don't do anything. I really I, I don't do anything to, to earn that. But um, little kids rock. That's it was so, so good. It was so good to see them. And again, like I said, like every I, I come home every like month or so, uh, and so when I do get to see them, uh, it feels like they're always like two years older than they actually are. <laughs> so that was the best thing I got to see this weekend. Let's bring in our guest, Justin Slipichka joins us this week. He is one. Really, technically, the only official um, writer, just writer on football because it's the editing staff plus Justin. Justin handles each week the Big Ten rankings, uh, and so he'll join us to talk Nebraska football this week. Justin, I believe you were down in Norman 
uh, last weekend. And yes. so talk about that. Was that the best thing you saw this weekend being down there? Yes, it was certainly one of them with an honorable mention being Zach Wilson throwing two interceptions in his first two passes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. that was a really – he ended up – I think he had, like the line at some point was like one for f- three with – uh, three picks. Yeah, he, yeah, he finished with four, and it just got progressively funnier with everyone he threw. <laughs> so I had an absolute blast following that game. But yeah, Norman definitely takes the cake for best thing I saw this weekend. Just the campus was really cool. The first time I saw the library, I thought it was like a church or a castle or something, not an actual library. And so the campus was cool, but I think the game day atmosphere was even better just seeing everyone outside the stadium. And there was a decent chunk of Nebraska fans there outside in, you know, little conglomerates here and there of Husker fans and Sooner fans. And, you know, when the game actually got going, you could hear just the roar of the crowd when the rivalry got back on campus, Nebraska-Oklahoma. And there were points in the game where when Nebraska was doing good, you could hear like a Husker power chant or Mm -hmm. Go Big Red audibly from the stadium. And that was just wild that even after all these years, you know, there's still the feeling of Nebraska, Oklahoma as something special. And to be there in Norman when that happened was really, really amazing. It was hard to tell, I think, from the TV side what the actual breakdown of fans were. There's a lot of red in there, and I know people are going to get on me because it's scarlet and maroon, but there was a lot of red, and it's hard to tell the difference. What would you say the breakdown was? How many Husker fans do you think were there as a percentage? I would say, uh, this might be a little bit generous, but I would say Nebraska got 20% of that stadium. Uh, A fifth, I think that that that's a pretty solid number. Not only were there a lot of Nebraska fans down there, there were a lot of Nebraska students that came and made the trip. Mm. I know that there were a couple of companies that put on like a good deal of like student trip weekend thingies around centered around this game. So I would say anywhere from like fifteen to twenty percent. And Justin is right; like there were points in the game where "Go Big Red" chants could be like very, very clearly heard from where we were on the press box of the fifth or sixth floor at at Gaylord Family Stadium and the coolest thing on that was just when both teams were out on the feet like ran out on the field just hearing that roar of the crowd for Oklahoma fans and then for Nebraska and hearing the boos attached with that from OU fans that was was just like okay like we're we're really here now and this is really like a big deal big time rivalry game still even after a decade apart so just that environment pregame, I was fired up. I was ready to run through a wall up there. Like, I don't even know. But it, that the whole energy around it was just so awesome. And walking to the stadium from where we were, I think, in the parking garage, we walked, I don't know, about a quarter mile. So right through the heart of campus, right through all the people tailgating and walking around. And it was just a great environment. Norman was so cool. And that's definitely, like, the best environment outside of Memorial Stadium that I've ever seen a college football game played in. Well, let's get into some of the, spe- uh, the specifics. Nebraska falls to 2-2, two and two, the loss 23-16 to 16 at the hands of the Sooners on the road. Is this the best loss for Nebraska football since what? And again, if do you, maybe you disagree. Is it even a good loss, considering the missed opportunities? So... Talk about some of those conflicting emotions. This is the best loss since when, or is it even a good loss? I would say since 2018 at Ohio State. But I think the team played a lot better in the that Ohio State loss. I think that Ohio State loss was more 
getting beat by a better team, and this loss had more of losing the game to it. Because there were a lot of opportunities that Nebraska just did not capitalize on. I believe there were four times they got past Oklahoma's 30 and did not get a touchdown out of it, and only one time they actually got any points out of it with a field goal. And there were two missed field goals, a couple interceptions that weren't or that could have been, but all that being said, this is still the best loss since that Ohio State game because Oklahoma is a top five team in the country. They have loads of talent at pretty much every position and one of the more highly touted coaches in the country and Scott Frost and Nebraska stayed toe-to-toe with them scheme-wise, game plan-wise. They were never truly out of the game. There was never a moment where these teams did not look like they belonged on the same field together. And that going forward, if you can do that against the number four team in the country, you know, something like the number 20 team in the country, Michigan State, you know, isn't quite as scary. Yeah, I was actually just about to say Ohio State because that's the only one that springs to mind. And Justin hit the nail on the head. That game was more of like, wow, like, Nebraska's in this game still? Like, question mark? That was more of, like, surprise. And this one, yeah, it it comes back to the same old, same old missed opportunities because Nebraska could have won this game in a couple of instances. Not only, um, you know, does the missed opportunities in the red zone and the missed kicks and the offsides and false start penalties come to mind, but the thing that just, like, sticks out in my mind that I don't think enough people are talking about was how Oklahoma, like, really, really opened the back door, like, within the last six minutes of the game after the interception by DJ Graham that was really, really cool and one of the best picks I've ever seen in my entire life ever, but OU's pinned at their own two. They can't get going. Nebraska marches down the field and scores quick. And then that kickoff that goes looked like it was going out of bounds that Marvin Mims inexplicably picks up within his own 10 that to me was like when the door was wide open for Nebraska to get a three and out or get some sort of quick stop, get off the field and give their offense more time. Of course, that didn't happen. Oh, he was able to pick up a couple of first downs and really gnaw away at that clock until I think a minute left when they punted. And at that point, it's kind of like the Illinois game. Nebraska just doesn't have enough time. Um, but to me, though, there were just definitely moments in there where the two teams looked to be you know, equal in some senses. Eric Shenander and Frost out-schemed one of the great offensive minds in college football in Lincoln Riley. And Nebraska definitely had an opportunity to win, unlike some of those other games. And, you know, post-game Frost and all the players that spoke, and they stressed it again on Monday, they're not into this moral victory business. So, I mean, to categorize it as a good loss is accurate, but that's not what the main takeaway in the locker room is, I don't think. But it's definitely a sign of something encouraging going forward. Oklahoma will figure it out. I'm pretty confident in that. And they'll get to the point where they start rolling through conference play. They're the buzzsaw they normally are, right? But to be able to play for 60 minutes with them, my math's wrong. Is my math wrong? No, you're right. Oh, my math's right. Cool. Yeah, uh, to be able to play for 60 minutes with them is a really, really good side going forward as Nebraska approaches this meat of Big Ten play. Well, you talk about that loss in 2018 against Ohio State. Single possession loss, 36-31. to Nebraska closed, winning two of their last three games after that loss. Of course, that came much later in the year. This is earlier. So what kind of momentum does this build for Nebraska? And is it a fragile momentum, right? Is it a momentum where if you don't play like you did last week against Michigan State this week, 
you lose everything that you built or put on the field against Oklahoma. You can forget all about it if you don't perform against Michigan State. Is it that kind of fragile momentum, or is it legitimate? Yeah, uh, there definitely needs to be some caution, uh, you know, attached to this performance, in my opinion. Yes, Nebraska played extremely admirably against Oklahoma and much better than anyone anticipated going in outside of the Nebraska locker room, I think. If Nebraska continues to make these same mistakes, the penalties, the frequent, you know, disruption of drives by the offensive line, the missed kicks, Nebraska still won't win many games in the Big Ten. The defense played well enough to overshadow that against one of the best teams in the country, but you can't count on your defense, for lack of a better word, bailing you out week in and week out. And it's not necessarily the defense bailing out the offense most times, it's the defense bailing out the special teams. So it's positive, but these mistakes cannot continue to happen week in and week out if Nebraska wants to get to that magic number of six wins and beyond and make a bowl game. So it's good, but some of the things that we've seen so far cannot continue to happen. Yes, I think it's a little bit of a fragile momentum as well. Just seeing you know, the players in the press conference after the game, these guys were you know, very upset, and they wanted that game bad, and it showed. And if something similar happens this weekend against Michigan State where they're right in it till the end against a quality opponent, but just too many simple mistakes take them out of it, that's going to be crushing on top of something that was already crushing. I, I know this, I don't doubt that this team wants to succeed, that Frost and all of them are working hard to make that happen, but there's only so many times you can just have a dejecting loss and not, you know, <laughs> have momentum go down because of that. Right. So I think it's really important to get this fixed as soon as possible because if this ends up being the sort of low point frustration-wise of the season, you know, ignoring the Illinois game, then this is going to be a very solid season for Nebraska. But if this is just one of the dominoes, then I don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like. Right. Well, it feels like every week is the biggest week of the season. That's how it's felt really all year. And again, like you, you think if, if Nebraska continues some of the same trends against Michigan State, the thought becomes this team is talented enough and good enough to hang around with everybody, but it can't get out of its own way. Um, and so one of the things that really sticks out in, to me in terms of that, there are two things really, and we'll get into the second one after this, but man, where does Nebraska go in the kicking game here? I mean, Scott talked a little bit about it in his press conference on Monday, and man, it really truly shows, like, you, you talk about people, this is kind of coach speak, but being good in all three phases of the game, right? And somehow, special teams, which is on the field the least, has lost Nebraska multiple games at, at, to a certain extent. It really lost them this Oklahoma game, and you could argue it lost them the Illinois game as well. And again, in the first three games, each game had a muff punt. There was no muff punt in the Oklahoma game, which broke that trend. But you can see, man, despite being on the field the least, the special teams had a huge effect on this game for Nebraska, and you truly do have to be good at all three phases. So talk about that. Where does Nebraska go from here on that front? Yes, I actually wrote a preview about Nebraska's special teams going into this season. And 
one thing that's interesting is the kicker position because they did bring in three new kickers in the offseason. Presumably, you know, kickoffs was the main concern because they didn't have hardly any touchbacks last year, and that's almost a given now on every kickoff. But field goal kicking is something they have a lot more depth at than they have in years past, and I think it's time to start exploring that depth because I have no doubt that the struggles with Connor Culp are just mostly mental, and once he gets right, he'll stay right and look like that Big Ten kicker of the year he was last season. But at this point in the season, the team cannot afford to have him figure himself out anymore. They have to try something new. And I think somebody, there are two names I think you could potentially see at kicker because Scott Frost had mentioned on Monday that he was looking, you know, into other options at kicker. One is Kellen Meyer, who was the kicker on the extra point that was blocked and returned for the two-point conversion by Oklahoma. Um, He was kicker at Ord last year. And has I believe a fifty-six yarder. He has the. Um, he might. He certainly has the record for the longest field goal at Ord. It might be the longest high school. It's field goal tied in the state. for second longest in yeah. state history. So he definitely has the leg for it. One thing I've noticed from him on the extra point, while it was mostly just Ethan Piper getting manhandled Destroyed, yeah. that caused the block, <laughs> he did have a low trajectory on the kick. Right. So that could be something that maybe draws him away from jumping right into that starting role. But there's another name, uh, Josh Jasek, the transfer from Iowa Western. Hasn't seen the field at all this year on kickoffs or extra points, but he made a 57-yard game-winning field goal last season for Iowa Western. Hmm. And he didn't have, like, the most automatic percentage of kicks, but he's certainly capable of putting them in and in high-pressure situations. So I think Meyer and Jasek both have the talent to be a D1 kicker. I mean, if you can make 56 or 57, you know, you're doing something right. And some college is going to have a use for that. So I think that Culp is now a detriment, you know, to the team if he can't get his mental state figured out right now. The other sector that really was concerning to me was the offensive line. Uh, Obviously the penalties is big landing, but they graded out very poorly when you look at pro football focus grades. I know I've talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks, but you can really tell like, and so that's one thing that was interesting. The second thing that was interesting to me, especially in regards to the mistakes by the offensive line, um, was that Nebraska was able to overcome most of those offensively, which is not something that's happened in the past. So what, your thoughts on those two things? Yeah, and that's a trend that will not be able to continue like going forward. Ne- Nebraska just... Adrian Martinez played one of the best games that, you know, I've, I've, I'm a senior now. I've been here for four years. I've seen... Pretty much every game Adrian Martinez has played, that last Saturday was one of his finest moments in a Nebraska uniform. Getting that aside, he is not going to be able to be Superman and keep picking up these second and 20s or first and 25s. Like, that's way too taxing to put an offense under time after time after time. Nebraska has skill position players that are capable of making that happen, which I haven't been able to say in the past couple of years. But it's an unrealistic thing to keep expecting the offense to, you know, rectify the mistakes made by the offensive line. So at a certain point, that's going to have to, you know, cut itself out. On Monday, Frost mentioned, I believe it was the left tackle position, uh, talking about that position going is going to be more competitive all off the running back room at the current moment. Uh, he mentioned guys like uh, Brock Bando, Piper, 
Hickson. Mm-hmm. Like those guys maybe getting to see uh, some more rotational minutes in the lineup. Teddy Prazaka is another guy. I know he was doing some tight end duties last week. Yeah. Uh, but that's a guy that I think uh, Frost big has shown. Dude. Yeah, big guy. Frost shown a lot of confidence in him, maybe seeing him rotate. There needs to be some wholesale change there because what's currently working is not – it's not working. Um, yeah, it, it's not feasible to keep having these same mistakes made week in, week out. And some of the false start penalties, to me, false starts are going to happen, right? Like, you aren't going to go through a whole game without one or two of them. But to have two false starts on the opening play of the game in consecutive fashion, it's inexcusable and it's coaching. Because you know, like, first drives are scripted for most teams. 99.9% of the times, you know the five or six plays you're going to run. And you know the snap counts for those. So to me, it's it's almost inexcusable. To I, just... would be, I would beg to differ on that front. I think you can, I think you can attribute some of the quote-unquote bonehead plays to that. But my thing is this, like, and, I, and I've had this discussion a couple of times this week, how often can a coach tell an offensive lineman the snap count? Like, how often can – like, that's about the only thing they can do there. So, like, to me, it's like you just got to know the count. And, yeah. and, that like, that's a problem that's universal. Yeah. Uh, it's not just college football. But, like, that one it's hard for me to attribute that's to coaching. True. Because, again, you, if you're on the line, you have to know the count. And the guys just didn't know the count, whether it's nerves or whatever. Um, so, yes, now we move on. Michigan State, number 20 in the country, 3-0. and uh, but have they played anyone? That's the real question. I think Miami's incredibly overrated. Your thoughts? I, I really, truly, I mean, people talk about Nebraska being an overrated program that's irrelevant a lot. Uh, gosh, man, Miami, Miami's right there. Miami's Miami not. Right Miami there. certainly isn't proving anyone right with the expectation placed at their feet coming into this season. I do think, and it's kind of sad, but two of my favorite teams to watch last year were Miami and Indiana. And both are kind of in a similar place with quarterbacks suffering season-ending injuries, and both of those quarterbacks just haven't looked quite right this season. Uh, and both Miami and Indiana are really, really struggling and in the in the danger zone, for lack of a better word. Miami probably will be able to rally itself a little bit easier because the ACC is not as strong this year, or not even close to being as strong as the Big Ten. Um, but yeah, early in the season, Miami, it's it's fair to say that they've been pretty overvalued. But still, and I know the Orange Bowl isn't the most like competitive, or it's not the Orange Bowl, it's Hard Rock Stadium. But that's not right. like the most competitive, you know, home field advantage in the world to go in and win. But man, Michigan State just smacked them, didn't bad. they? I mean, anytime you can Fetty Wap someone, I, I will never say that that's not impressive. Michigan State is good. I I've 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 sat I've sat on this take. I think it's a good take. Michigan State has won two games on the road in impressive fashion at Northwestern, who, yes, probably isn't very good, and at Miami. And when you have a running back like Kenneth Walker III, it's, it's pretty hard for me to say that a team has been like overvalued with its wins because from seeing that dude play at Wake Forest and seeing what he's been able to do this year, it's pretty obvious that that guy's going to be able to keep Michigan State in most every game it plays this season. Well, Scott Frost, 0-2 all-time against Mel Tucker. Both those games came against Colorado in it, Scott's opening. It was 0-1. 0-1, correct. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Mel Tucker moved on a little bit later. But 
games that stick out in the past. Scott does have a win against Michigan State, 9-6. to That came in 2018. And the top 10 takedown of the Mike Riley era, 35-38. Both those games were fantastic for different reasons. Um, but this game has always been close. This game has always been interesting. Your thoughts as we, as we move into this game, Justin, because the pressure, I think, is on Nebraska in, in this case. Is it? Can I say something really quickly? Yeah, hop in. Lord help Nebraska if this is a 9-6 game that comes oh, down gosh. to field goals because yeah, that is the last say. thing anyone wants to see. <laughs> I know the snow played a huge impact in that, but God, this game cannot end 9-6. Oh, my goodness, Please, yes. no. I can't subject myself to that. Anyway, Speak sorry. for yourself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I think the pressure is on Nebraska here. You just took a top five team down to the wire. You get a chance to do that, and uh, excuse me. You took a top five team down to the wire, but just couldn't complete the job. You have a chance now to redeem yourself and get a ranked win on the road. So I think the pressure is absolutely there. Scott Frost, you know, says he hopes this will be the year the team has turned the corner. After that Oklahoma loss, you can see the team sort of peak around the corner of being able to beat these top teams. Now you have a chance the very next week at a top 20 team on the road. I think if you win this game, you can definitely, I think absolutely say the program is headed in the right direction. For you, Landon, you know, there are 2,500 Oscar tickets for this game. And Mel Tucker said in his press conference the other day, I don't expect to see one more Husker body than that. Uh, oh, Mel Tucker. Mis- <laughs> mistake? Yes. Uh. <laughs> like, yes. That, that, that is the one more answer to that question. Of course there are going to be more than 2,500 Nebraska fans there. Like, come on, Mel Tucker. You should know better than this. Like, Nebraska will be able to fill whatever. The, it's Spartan Stadium, I think. Mm. I don't know what the capacity of that stadium is, but... It's it's fair to imagine that there will be more than 2,500 Nebraska fans there, right? Well, let's look at the keys to the game here. We'll share. Each of you can uh, chime in on this as Nebraska meets Michigan State. Stopping the run is big, right? But what else is there? I think getting off the field on defense. On Oklahoma, they had way too many third-down conversions, and I think there was one point there was a second and 26. The Oklahoma mm-hmm. ended up getting a first down on that drive off of. The defense played great, but it's got to get the stops when the stops are there. Yeah, I definitely agree on the opportunistic part. I remember, I think, I believe that second and 26 came either after the OPI or the Rattler offensive face mask. And yeah, the fact that was OU was able, was, was able to convert that. It's not that Nebraska's defense hasn't been playing well because they have. It's a matter of being more opportunistic. What I look at are the self-inflicted wounds. Like, how can't you after these first couple of games of the season? I am holding out hope, and I'm going to say it week week after week after week until it happens. Nebraska has to play a clean 60 minutes. Turnover or two, eh, that's fine. What I'm more looking at are no back-breaking 15-yard on sportsmanlike conduct penalties, no muffed punts that end in hilarious fashion, no missed kicks that are within gimme range that shouldn't be missed. For me, that's most everything 40 yards and under. Anything over 40 yards, I can excuse it. I can say, okay, maybe the offense should have done a little bit better, getting your kicker in a more comfortable position. But anything under that, I'd like to see made. 
conversions on extra points, clean snaps on punts, little things like that that Nebraska hasn't been able to do in some form or fashion consistently over the course of a game, those things need to be corrected. And I think if they are, and Nebraska doesn't shoot itself in the foot, the Huskers have a great opportunity to pick up a ranked win and really flip the season ahead of a, an extremely, extremely winnable game at home against Northwestern. Yeah, I think the most important thing to me is making Peyton Thorne beat you. Uh, I don't care how you do it. And you look at his numbers, they're impressive to be sure. Nine touchdowns, no he can picks, ball. He can 700 ball. yards to the air. But if you look at that Miami game, the only throw he had that was a serious downfield throw was a busted coverage. He yeah. likes to check it down. He likes to keep it close to the line. If Nebraska can defend that well and force Peyton Thorne to throw the ball, I think that will lead to some, some uh, success as far as the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska, it's tough to look back and point out Art Sitkowski as an example, but Nebraska right. did kind of struggle with that quarterback that isn't really taking these five, seven-step drops, but instead is getting the ball out quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how Nebraska's defense is able to adjust to a quarterback who this time they know is going to be that style of passer. Peyton Thorne can play. I mean, I'm, I'm not totally on board with the, oh, Peyton Thorne's like not that great for him to beat you because I mean, anytime you've gone through three games in the season, I don't care if it was against Northwestern, Youngstown State, and Miami, but the remaining turnover th free through that stretch is still impressive. And yeah, I would say, though, I would rather see Nebraska... If this game is to go like on a particular script, I'd rather see it be the death by a thousand paper cuts with the pass as opposed to Kenneth Walker just right. ripping off 40-yard runs all night. So if, if there's a preferred option, it's the former because in the former, at least Nebraska will be able to really adjust, update some coverage things, and try to get that fixed. Justin, before we let you go here, uh, Big Ten rankings coming out this week. Any yes. big surprises in there? Um, not much happened at the top this week, but the bottom five has got a pretty big reshuffle just based on what happened last week. All right, well, and you'll get a chance to read that, I believe, on Friday, Thursday? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So yes. Thursday. So Thursday, which will be yesterday for those of you listening on Friday. So you'll get a chance uh, to go out and find those rankings alongside all the other great coverage from the, uh, the DN on Husker football at... Uh, dailynebraskan.com go to the sports section read it over see some of the volleyball stuff on there too so who's going to win this game Landon and I will pick next against the spread 1-2-NU coming up and a big thanks to Justin Slipichka for joining us here on Scarlet Fever alright that was Justin Slipichka here on Scarlet Fever Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wharton it's time now for 1-2-N-U, and the struggles have continued for me. Not so for Landon. I went 1-2 and two last week. Dastardly Florida, I thought for sure. But you bet 15.5 on Alabama against Florida. They get out to a 21-0 lead, and you think, yes, they are 100% going to cover that spread. Not the case. So I take a loss, fall the 1-2, and two, and Landon goes a perfect 3-0, and oh, and you hit on every one of yours, including Nebraska-Oklahoma. Yeah, I got really lucky with the Cincinnati game because, yeah. holy cow, speaking of teams that look dead, Cincinnati in the first half against Indiana Oof. was sleepwalking. And when they 
because I, I was periodically tracking the score in between, uh, you know, time outbreaks and stuff because I'm, I'm very dedicated to the one two on you segment. But <laughs> uh, since the the thing that flipped that game was Cincinnati was down fourteen nothing. They had a third and seven, I think, deep in their own territory at their own like twenty one or something. They don't get it. But Indiana's linebacker, one of their best players, can't recall the name off the top of my head, gets called for targeting. Mm. Since he gets the first down, the game really starts to flip in the Bearcats' favor since he drives down and gets a touchdown with like a minute left in this first half. Phoenix, Indiana's quarterback, throws an interception on the ensuing drive. Cincinnati makes it a 14-10 game. And then the wheels really fell off for Indiana in the fourth quarter. So that was lucky. It was uh, a fun game. Yeah, it was a great game. So uh, was the Penn State it, one, which you got right as well. Yeah, I was able to watch more of that one, actually. After the, the game, we stopped off at a Buffalo Wild Wings in mm. Norman and just hung out and watched some football for a while. Yeah, that Penn State game was really good and came right down to the wire. But the Nittany Lions were able to do it for me. And, yeah, I'm looking to go, looking forward to another winning week this week. All right. Well, again, a refresher on the rules. We are picking against the spread here. We each pick our top two, or, well, two, <laughs> college football non-Nebraska games of the week plus the Nebraska game. So I am 2-7 and seven coming off a 1-2 and two week. Yikes. Uh, Landon is 4-5. and five. He can get above 500 this week coming off a 3-0 and oh weekend. And Landon, your first pick is what? Yeah, uh, I am looking at one of the better games on the college football slate this weekend. It's Arkansas against Texas A&M at Jerry World in Dallas. I did not know this game was at Jerry World until I was actually doing some research into the game and made my pick. I am taking Arkansas plus six against the Aggies. Arkansas is a good team. I've seen the light. Arkansas dismantled Texas was able to take care of business in what could potentially be a look-ahead spot in that triple option at Georgia Southern. I was able to take care of business there. It's a good Arkansas team in a neutral site, so no home field advantage. Don't have to worry about the 12th man at Kyle Field having a huge impact on this one against what, in my opinion, is a still overrated Texas A&M team with a backup quarterback that hasn't really been great. I mean, Calzada looked really good against New Mexico, but I think any quarterback will look good against New Mexico. Um, I think he really struggles against an Arkansas defense that really just ate up Texas's quarterbacks a week ago. I'm taking Arkansas with the points. That's my official pick. But I think Arkansas has enough to win this game outright. Mm. So for a score prediction, I'm taking Arkansas 23, Texas A&M 20. But for the purposes of the one 2 on you, I'm taking Arkansas to cover that plus six point spread. Yeah, that's interesting in a lot of ways to me because Texas A&M, man, you couldn't even score a total, well, you barely got double-digit points against Colorado, a team that Maryland absolutely dismantled last weekend. Did not expect that. Minnesota. But or yes, Minnesota, yes, yes. Sorry. It was a dismantling. That was one of the more surprising results of last week because that was forecasted to be a close game. Kansas State, Oklahoma State is my first game, and this is one of the ones that intrigues me the most in the night game slate besides Nebraska-Michigan State, and it's really disappointing to me that it's on Big 12 Network slash ESPN Plus because I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be one of the better ones this week. Truly, yes, I do. I know, you're making faces. It's on ESPN Plus? Yeah. Really? Yes, 100%. Two undefeated? Oh, my God. I could go on a 10-minute tangent about how much I hate ESPN Plus. This has been, ESPN Plus has been the topic of many a Scarlet Fever rant during college basketball season. (laughs) 
But that is shameful that two undefeated Big 12 teams are playing on ESPN+. Plus. Well, what are be, we doing? You Figure talk about the other game that's in that slate is Florida-Tennessee at 6 o'clock. Who wants to see bad Tennessee and I know. bad Tennessee's Joe get ruled. Get I don't even know what's on Florida. 2. I don't even know what's on ESPN2 at that time. Ugh, it's that bad. makes me upset. Bad. Anyway, <laughs> back to the actual pick. Uh, man, I really trust Kansas State here. I know that's weird because their TikToks are uh, brutal, but... Okie State is favored by six. They are at home. I don't understand it. Uh, Kansas State is undefeated, ranked for the first time in a long time, I think, this week. They win at 34-28. I will pick them to cover that six-point spread. Yeah, against my Cowboys, which makes me sad. OSU's game last week was really hilarious against Boise State. OSU was without its top running back, top two running backs, top two wide receivers, and top tight end. So what OSU did was just run the ball with backups, and Spencer Sanders completed like seven passes, I think, all night. <laughs> oh, the score at halftime was 21-20, to 20, which was also the final score. So I don't know how OSU was able to like hold on and beat Boise State. The second half was super sloppy, bunch of turnovers. OSU was able to survive with a blocked kick of a 35-yard Boise State field goal and then a bomb from Spencer Sanders on 3rd and 15 to a, like, fifth-string wide receiver. It'd be like if uh, Nebraska was depleted and late in the game, Adrian Martinez found Levi Falk on a huge third down to ice the game. Like, similar type reaction. But it was a really nice win for Oklahoma State, but K-State is really well drilled. I love Chris Kleiman. He's a great coach. K-State, even without uh, Skylar Thompson, still has a really good running back that I think will give OSU some problems. So I could see OSU losing this game, so I don't hate the pick personally. What's your second one? Yeah, uh, I'm going. I'm staying in the Big 12, and I'm doing a little in-state rivalry with Dude, Texas, Texas Tech again. and Texas. Ooh, playing with fire. I know, I know. I'm betting against Texas again, but uh, I think this will be a really, really good game. Texas Tech has looked pretty good so far this year. A little bit of a sleepwalk in the middle of that against a, a Sam Houston State team, but Sam Houston State's a really good FCS school, so I don't really put too much stock into that. Uh, Tyler Show, who was Oregon's quarterback for a good bit of last year, and I, who I, a quarterback I really enjoyed watching, is the quarterback at uh, Texas Tech. Um, so I mean, he looks, he's been looking pretty good so far. On top of that. Five of the last six matchups between these schools have been decided by eight points or less. The spread is currently Texas minus eight, and I'm forecasting a Texas win, but in a three to four point game. So I'm mm. going Texas 35, Texas Tech 31, Texas Tech covers the eight point spread. All right, guys, I'm two and seven. I, one and two is like my best week on the year so far. Man, I need to get right week. I really do. I'm much like Husker volleyball, which we'll discuss. Uh, a little bit later in the program here on Scarlet Fever, Grant Hansen and Landon Wirt. All right, I might be a coward. Georgia Vanderbilt is my number two. And Boo. no, this game isn't going to be good. This isn't going to be good. I just want to highlight, I think Vanderbilt is the worst college football program in the country. UConn doesn't count, all right? They've been around for like a year, sort of, plus that stint that they didn't exist. All right, UConn is definitely worse than Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt has been around for longer. Georgia favored by 35 and a half, and I think they cover. Georgia 54 to 10 over Vanderbilt. Again, the worst college football program in the country. Might I just say the most absurd thing about that is Vanderbilt scoring 10 points. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I don't think they will. But that oh, defense is so good. For doing this, so good. Ohio State minus 49 against Akron. Yeah, there you no, go. Whatever. But yeah, no, I don't hate that. Georgia, Georgia should steamroll. Steamroll. Andy. 
So. All right, time for the NU. It's the big one, Nebraska, Michigan State, a 6 o'clock kick. This one will be on FS1 Saturday night. Where do you think this one goes, Landon? Yeah, I've been going back and forth with this, and I reserve the right to change my pick and editor score predictions, of course, as always, but I'm rolling with Michigan State by one. I think Nebraska covers the five-point spread, and the game comes down to somewhere in the field goal range on either side. But what I think it comes down to for me is can Nebraska stop Kenneth Walker? And I don't think over the course of 60 minutes it'll be able to. I think Michigan State is a really good team, and I think that this might be the beginning of a really, really impressive season for Sparty. So I think that Michigan State just barely ekes it out by one over the Huskers. This is a tough one. This is tough for me. Uh, I think Nebraska's going to turn the corner this week. I think this is the week that Nebraska finally breaks through that single possession uh, roadblock they've dealt with under Frost for quite some time. Nebraska, I think, at this point, is almost guaranteed to cover. Michigan State is minus five. Nebraska, despite all the crap I gave them (laughs) back uh, in the Illinois week about the spread, uh, they've been really good against the spread the last few weeks. Uh, I think they cover this Michigan State five-point favorite. Uh, I think they certainly do that. And I think they went out right, 24-21. A field goal, maybe it's from Connor Culp, maybe it's from someone else, is what gets it done in the end. And Nebraska outlasts Michigan State on the road. Again, I think this is the week the corner turns. You hear everybody from Garrett Nelson on down talking this week uh, about being this close and how frustrated saying being this close is every week. I think they finally get over the hump. Yeah, I, I I certainly can see that happening. It's well within the realm of possibility. Unlike in past weeks, this is truly a game that I can see going either way. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. All right, so Landon's picks. Again, he takes Arkansas, who is plus six against Texas A&M. Texas Tech plus eight against Texas. And Michigan State to beat Nebraska 21-20, to but Nebraska would cover in that game case for me kansas state oklahoma state i'm taking kansas state plus six georgia as a 35 and a half point favorite they will cover that spread almost definitely against vanderbilt i hope uh (laughs) and then michigan state minus five i think nebraska covers and wins 24 to 21 time to talk nebraska women's athletics volleyball and soccer coming up next here on scarlet fever All right, that was 1-2 NU. Hopefully a better week for me. Landon started to ride the ship. And talking about riding the ship, let's get into some Nebraska women's athletics discussion. Nebraska volleyball and Nebraska soccer have both been struggling here lately. We'll start with Nebraska volleyball. The Huskers have lost three in a row for the first time since 2018. It is probably the most shaky things have felt in a while, but... It's against a bunch of ranked opponents. Yeah, there's there's two ways to look at it. It's one, you know, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. Nebraska's dropping these matches. And especially in the fashion that the last one against Louisville came, that stings. Right. But, I mean, these are some of the best teams in the country, right? Like the three losses Nebraska undertook, these will be teams that are going to be right in the swing of things come, you know, yeah, December. the NCAA tournament in December. Right. 
So, yes, it's poor to have these losses come in the fashion that they are, but at the same time, Nebraska's still trying to figure things out before things really get rolling in Big Ten play. And I'm more interested in the stock of this team towards the end of conference play as opposed to now. Buy stock now in Nebraska volleyball yeah. if you're, you're you know looking for a quality investment because this is a team that has shown its mettle and been really battle-tested and I think ultimately ultimately will come out the better for it. You have to think, right? Well, let's give you some numbers for perspective on how some of the uh, things have transpired. Nebraska now number 12 in the country in the most recent AVCA poll. That breaks a, a streak of 60 straight weeks in the top 10. It's first Again, world problems, right? Right, right. They yeah. fall the 12th. Last time the Huskers outside the top 10, September 18th, 2017, when they were 14th. Prior to this week, Nebraska has not dropped consecutive matches since that three-game skid in 2018 from October 13th to the 20th. In the last 30 years, Nebraska has three straight losses only four times. And before Saturday's loss to Louisville, Nebraska had gone 644 days without being swept. Their last sweep had came against Wisconsin in the NCAA regional final. That was December 14th, 2018. 19. It is a good week to turn that around, though, as Nebraska volleyball faces both Northwestern and Iowa, the only two teams in the Big Ten with losing records. And so you think about that Louisville match. It was it was domination by Louisville from start to finish. And, you know, <laughs> you, you think a lot of times coaches say, hey, it in the moment it feels really bad. But when we look back, there are some things that are worse and there are some good things to pull out of it. Well, Coach Cook was asked on Monday, how, how are things? Now that the dust has settled, how do you look back on that Louisville game? He said, I had to get out my barf bag. That was one quote, and then a little bit later he said, there was absolutely nothing positive in that match. It yeah. was brutal. Yeah, that's – that's. <laughs> I love John Cook because he is just – the quote – he's an all-time quotes guy. It's funny. He had and so little, many in that conference. And a little well. anecdote about Oklahoma, that <laughs> – there were Nebraska fans at the Buffalo Wild Wings. We watched, um, we were hanging out watching football, and they insisted on getting Big Ten Network on so that the Husker volleyball could be watched there. So it was funny because, you know, there are often times where Nebraska volleyball is playing during the weekends, and I just don't have the opportunity to watch it because we're busy. But I was able to watch like a good bit of it. It was kind of it was one of the TVs where it was a weird angle for me. Yeah. So I was cranking my head up, like looking like this behind me. I was like, "What's going on?" But yeah, it really seemed that Louisville just kind of dominated throughout. And I would agree that a barf bag might have been the only suitable viewing to rewatch that. It's another one of those games for Nebraska where I think it's kind of just like burn the tape and move on almost. And it's really a shame when that happens against one of the country's best. But you'd rather. Have all the stuff that you learn from it on tape and be ready for it than a second time around. But yeah, I mean, <sighs> Louisville hitting 255 to Nebraska's hitting percentage at under 0.5, that's pretty poor and a trend that just can't continue moving forward. Well, that hitting percentage for Nebraska, 0.046, <clears throat> was their worst in any match this year. Yeah. In fact, it was also their worst match in terms of errors this year, a season high of 26 across the whole team. Nearly a full point, actually is a full point worse than their second worst hitting match was Creighton, actually at .177. So Nebraska has two matches. One will be on Wednesday against Northwestern. The second comes against Iowa. It's kind of a get-right week, you know, much like much like with my picks, you know, in 1-2-NU. It's a get-right week for Nebraska volleyball as they, again, face the only two teams in the Big Ten with 
losing records. Northwestern at 5-6. and six. Truly has not played uh, a lot of stellar competition, in my opinion. Nebraska 15-1 against Northwestern all-time and 12-1 and under John Cook. Kind of a balanced, somewhat of a balanced attack between these two teams that Nebraska will face this week. Northwestern is much more balanced than Iowa. We'll get into those numbers a little bit. But Temi Thomas, Alara, 162 kills on 422 swings uh, for Northwestern. Next closest hitter has 121 kills on 306 swings. So one very, very strong outside hitter for Northwestern and Thomas Alara, who was I believe all Big Ten last year, if I remember correctly. So that'll be interesting to watch as we record this on Wednesday. Tonight, I'll be writing that piece for the Daily Nebraska. And those of you on Friday, you can go back and uh, read the recap there and see what happened. Uh, but it's, it's a big match tonight against Northwestern. And kind of later, that's kind of odd. You know, you think back, it's, it's 8 o'clock. There's a, game, there's a match that starts at 6. Uh, but it's kind of, a kind of a later start for Nebraska on BTN. Yeah, that's a little strange. Sometimes BTN will do that with basketball, too. There will be just, like, random Nebraska games at PBA that started eight for, like, no reason. Right, and it's not um, even on the – it's like it's not even like it's on the West Coast. No, no. It's it, – yeah, it, it's just really weird. I don't really like that the conference does that sometimes. But it'll be really critical for Nebraska to come out and not only sweep but look dominant doing so. I think mm. that'll be really important for them. It's really – the, the schedule breaks at a really fortuitous time, and maybe right. John Cook knew that going in as he was trying to align his non-conference opponents. So that way, even if Nebraska takes a little bit of a beating and takes its lumps, you can get back, get right, and start giving out the lumps to two of the Big Ten's not greatest volleyball schools in the world. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see tonight, uh, and then again on against Iowa, now, Coach Cook said on Monday he's solidified a, a lineup that is going to stick. Uh, he was not he neglected to share that lineup, uh, but we'll get to see that tonight, and it'll be interesting to see which of the freshmen get to come on to the court consistently. And again, how does that intermix with the group that was already here last year, your Lexi Sons, your Maddie Cubics, and your Kayla Cappies? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at, I, I'm assuming that Whitney Lonstein's got to be a part of that. You think, the, right? With the, with the younger crew. She's been, even in these like dull performances for Nebraska, she's consistently been one of the best players on the court. So you would have to imagine that a solidified quote-unquote lineup includes her. Um, Allie Batenhorst is another name that you would think that is probably right. in that mix as well. I hope it helps because we're at we're getting to the point in the season in conference play where you can't really afford to do much tinkering. So that it's got to be big. And now that you've had these games where you've been mixing around a little bit, if there ever needs to be a change in that due to injury or something like that, there are competent replacements on the bench with plenty of in-game experience to help that front. So I'm hoping it's big, and I'm hoping it's able to click this weekend. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out on Wednesday. For those of you listening on Friday, the match tomorrow will be Iowa, and this one tips off in the afternoon, 2.30. I did say morning on another uh, broadcast this week. Well, depends, I suppose, when you're getting up in college. But uh, 2.30, I believe, is first serve for that one. All-time, Nebraska is 33-0 and against Iowa, and they've totally <laughs> lost five sets, five sets in over 45 years of uh, college volleyball but of those five sets three have come in the last three years so it's really really interesting to see how Iowa has kind of stepped up their game uh, as time has gone on I don't know if that sticks this week um, because 
if you look at the attack for the Hawkeyes, it is very, very focused. Courtney Bazzario, 182 kills on just nearly 450 swings, 449 to be exact. For perspective, the next closest attacker for the Hawkeyes is over 100 kills behind Bazzario at 80. So 182 for Bazzario, 80 for her next closest uh, attacker on her team, 177 swings. Uh, for that attacker. So it's pretty one-dimensional. You know where it's going each play. Yeah, um, I do recall that. Like I've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm not the greatest volleyball historian in the world, but the the Iowa record and series history does stick out in my mind because you're right, Iowa has done some work in trying to pick off sets from the Huskers in recent years, and for Iowa volleyball, that's good progress for them. Uh but, yeah, you have to think if you slow down Bazzario, you sweep as well. Right. Um, if Nebraska doesn't come away with two sweeps or two three-to-one victories at the absolute worst. More alarm week, bells. Yeah, more <laughs> alarm bells are definitely going to be wrong. If Nebraska has to come from behind and pull out a heroic 3-2 victory or something, that probably won't put most people uh, at ease against two of the Big Ten's perennial volleyball doormats. But if you slow down Bazzario, you have to – think that you can slow down the Hawkeyes and with Iowa picking off sets in recent years a 3-0 sweep of them would be a pretty you know make Husker volleyball fans sleep a little easier all right Nebraska now six in three number 12 in the country again two matches this week let's talk about Nebraska women's soccer and much like Husker volleyball there has been some struggles here as of late as well yeah, not not happy times at Barbara Hibner Stadium, to say the least. Nebraska has lost four, five of its last six matches with the lone win coming against uh, Loyola Chicago a couple of weeks ago. That was on September 5th. Uh, and we thought at the time that that could be a win, and it was a win, against a really good team in the Missouri Valley, a team that has a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And we thought that that could be a really, really positive win moving forward for the Huskers. That has not come close to being the case, and Nebraska's really faltered in form since. The most recent of those, uh, last Sunday, was a 3-1 defeat uh, to Purdue in the Big Ten opener on Sunday. Emily Matthews, Purdue forward, had a hat trick. Uh, She played really, really well. One goal in the first half to uh, open the scoring. Nebraska was able to tie on a 17th-minute goal from Reagan Robbie, her sixth of the year. She's been a real bright spot. Mm, Uh, But... Uh, Matthew's two goals in the second half were just massive. Uh, The go-ahead in the 71st minute, and then to have the composure. uh, As a former forward myself, one of the hardest things to do, in my opinion, is when you have a clear breakaway one-on-one with the goalkeeper, to have that mentality and mindset to be calm, be composed, and slot away a finish. That's what Matthews was able to do. Nebraska had a late corner kick in, I believe, the 88th or 89th minute. As a result, pretty much everyone in the kitchen sink is up for it except the goalkeeper. Uh, The ball ended up bouncing out to Matthews, who had just a clear breakaway, a one-on-one with Mackenzie Short. Short actually saved Matthews' original opportunity, but she was able to slot the rebound into an open net. So very composed on that finish to help ice, uh, ice the game for Purdue. Always nice to see good forward play. Unfortunate that it came at the hands of a Nebraska defeat. Uh, But yeah... I mean, a critical theme, I would think, uh, in these losses, the recent ones, you look at Purdue and the Arizona trip, it's Nebraska not being able to finish opportunities in front of goal. Nebraska had, um, looking back to Arizona, the 3-2 loss, Nebraska had two goals against Arizona 
shots from 13 shots on goal. Arizona had seven shots on goal and was able to come away with three goals. Against Arizona State, Nebraska had six shots on goal, was unable to come away with any goals. Arizona State, six shots on goal, same total, one goal. Against Purdue, Nebraska had six shots on goal, one goal, Purdue with seven and three. So Mm. it comes down to Nebraska not being able to take advantage of its opportunities in front of the net. If Nebraska was able to do that on a couple of instances, we could be talking about completely different results in a team that maybe isn't under 500 at this point in the season. Instead, Nebraska is now in this hole, and from what was thought to be a year where maybe Nebraska could crack that top eight and qualify for the, the Big Ten tournament at the end of the season, is now maybe more of Nebraska just trying to stay out of the basement, which at least based on the first couple of games of the season, was not where I expected this team being. So what, something's so got to change in front When you think, think about the shots on goal, for me, I think you can compare it a lot to just a three-point shooter, right? You just got to keep shooting, and eventually, law of averages, they'll start to go in, right? Is, yeah. that, is that the solution there, or what's been the, the biggest issue with not being able to convert some of those opportunities? Yeah, it's just a matter of maintaining confidence and continuing to be aggressive. There are a couple of mindsets a team can take where shots on goal aren't falling. The first is to try to get super crafty and technical and just pass the ball around the box and just wait for like the goal to just open up, for lack of a better word. That never usually works out very well. But the second thing is to maintain your aggressiveness, keep taking your opportunities, keep firing away, and eventually the floodgates will open. I'm not sure when that'll be. There's a great opportunity for it to come this weekend against Maryland. And, you know, maybe having a four or five goal effort against them, kind of like how beneficial the opening 5 nothing win against Missouri was, maybe that will be the spark that just helps Nebraska open things up. Break down that opening match against the Terps this week. Yeah, so... For those listening on Friday, this match will have already happened. It's hopefully a Nebraska win. Uh, Maryland is 4-3-2 and two overall. They lo- it, the team lost its Big Ten opener to Ohio State in a 2-1 defeat. Last year, Maryland was really bad. 0-10-2 last year, so no wins. Uh, of course, with no wins, none of them came in conference either. 0-9-2 in conference play. Nebraska has knock on wood and nev- they've never lost to Maryland uh, they lead the all-time series five nothing so Mar- and Maryland is a team that doesn't really have a ton of standout players all conference players big names so this should be an opportunity for Nebraska to put in three or four goals get right pitch a clean sheet even to go along with it and get right for what is a huge Huge test on Saturday against number nine Rutgers. I had mentioned when we were breaking down Nebraska's schedule last week that these first couple of games against Purdue and Maryland should be winnable before this test against Rutgers. Unfortunately, the Purdue one wasn't able to swing Nebraska's way, but holy cow, Rutgers is a test. Six and two losses to Princeton and a ranked Georgetown on its resume. Uh, Rutgers won its Big Ten opener against Penn State 2-1. They played Michigan State not Michigan State, they play Michigan on Thursday, so uh, after, of course, we record this podcast, so we don't quite know how Rutgers will shake out following that game, but assuming it wins, uh, Rutgers will be 2-0 there. Uh, The Scarlet Knights were an NCAA tournament team last season. It won its opening match, uh, Rutgers did, before bowing out in the second round. Hilariously, (laughs) Nebraska and Rutgers, when they've met, there's never been a winner, which is crazy to me. They have tied every single one of their matchups. Hmm. Their all-time record, at least according to Huskers.com, is 0-0-6, which is just 
awesome. And I'm kind of hoping for a tie yeah. because, like, Keep what if they just tied every single one of their games? But uh, that is something that, you know, either team will be looking for its first win of the series there, which I think will lead to both teams playing quite aggressively. Uh, Rutgers has a couple of standouts, unlike Maryland. Uh, frankly, Frankie Tagliaferri, senior mi- senior midfielder for the Scarlet Knights, eight goals this season, which ranks first in the Big Ten. Uh, and Samantha Kroger, a sophomore midfielder slash forward, has six goals. So Rutgers off the bat has a couple of real nice offensive players that uh, Nebraska's defense will be, you know, a tough task with slowing it down. Uh, Nebraska's defense started the year really strong and since has been sputtering a bit. So. I'm looking for, it's a big weekend, or big two games, I guess, with the Thursday game not coming quite on the weekend. So it's it's a big opportunity for that defense to turn the ship and for Nebraska to put in a couple of complete performances. All right, well, Husker fans, hopefully you enjoy Get Right Week. Uh, it is Get Right Week for Nebraska women's soccer. It is Get Right Week for Nebraska women's volleyball. It is Get Right Week for Nebraska, or for football as they take on Michigan State, hopefully trying to turn that corner and it's get right week for Grant's picks. So it's get right week for everybody this week. Everybody, hopefully, will get right. And uh, so that's going to do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen and Landon Word again. You can follow Landon at Landon Wirt, spelled again, last name W-I-R-T. You can find me on Twitter at Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, 15 underscore Hansen. Again, Hansen, 15 underscore Hansen, Hansen with an E-N. This is a Daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. Again, at Daily NEB and at DN Sports. You've been listening to Scarlet Fever.